welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Welcome to another imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm speaking to Komal Shah, um, who used to be a teacher in the classroom, now is an educational consultant, uh, thought leader. She's currently writing her book, which will come out in August 2021, called, uh, called Bringing Consciousness to Education. Um, she's based in LA in the US and I'm delighted to welcome you to this podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, so am I. So um, we connected because I've um, seen some of your posts and a lot of what you've written on LinkedIn really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to tell us a bit you know, the listeners and myself a bit more about you so you were you used to be in the classroom so do you want to tell us about that yeah sure sure yeah it's always funny because I feel like I'm always going back to where my story kind of started right so I like to go with undergrad because I actually was a biology major and I thought I wanted to be a doctor I didn't really know for sure but what I did know is that it wasn't resonating with me so I actually went on a trip to India. And um, it was kind of this like pilgrimage with my parents. And I saw these kids that were begging on the street. And obviously, there's a lot of poverty in India. And so, you know, I asked them, I'm like, why why aren't you in school? And they were like, we don't have a school here. Like, there's no such thing. So I think that's spark something in me like I kind of was like oh maybe I want to go the educational route but I didn't know if that was feasible so by my senior year I applied to Teach for America which is a program in the U.S. where you work in an underserved community for two years honestly very spontaneously (laughs) didn't think twice about it but um got accepted and I would say the minute I walked in I was like okay like I found what I meant to do kind of like a calling which sounds so corny but um, I love it (laughs) lovely and I love the fact that you 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 know you were doing sort of biology and you know or or sciences and actually it's just like no I don't want to be a doctor because loads of people may follow that because you know your teachers I see that a lot of my students at university who you know arrive and 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 say they're studying you know French with something else or you know um they they're not always wanting to be there for, for that particular subject. So, you know, fair play that you sort of like, right, this is what I'm going to do and not this one, because that takes yeah. a lot of courage, right? Yeah, thank you. You know, I also say it's kind of like sometimes a divine intervention, right? It's like you're going this direction because you've been conditioned that way. You grew up in a culture, maybe, or in a home where being a doctor, it's prestigious, you, there's status with 
you know, filled with that. And so you kind of just do it, right? You kind of don't question it. What, what, what is the point of questioning it if everyone's kind of doing the same thing? And then this kind of spark comes in, you know, and either you decide to listen to it or you don't, right? You kind of have a choice. And I think for me making that choice, now when I look back, I'm going, oh my gosh, like I'm so glad <laughs> that I made this choice to go after something, especially teaching where no one had told me that that could be a career, right? It's not, was not really talked about, but it fueled my fire. Right. And I was like, oh, this is what it means to be in a profession where you're excited. Right. And I laugh too because I'm like, I'm scared of blood. I could have never become a doctor. So I don't even know why I was thinking I could do that. But yeah, I was definitely, um, I feel very blessed that I was able to go a different direction in my life. Wonderful. So you, you were a teacher in the classroom, but now you are an education, you know, educational consultant. Yeah. So what made you change? And <laughs> I think that's great. So my first two years, I worked in a traditional public school. Um, it was actually the worst performing middle school within the district. And um, it was a lot. And, you know, I was just kind of like swimming above water, trying to just kind of get through those two years. But I think I got really introduced of just what it meant to have a failing school system, right? I think that was my first kind of awareness about it. And I love teaching, but I wasn't being really supported professionally. So I was like, I love my kids. I love this community. I'm going to go work at a charter school in the same community for, to kind of see what, how it looks successfully. So that's what I did. And I ended up going from seventh grade math for two years and I taught sixth grade math for three more years. And I led a team of teachers during that time as well. And yeah, I think during that process, it was interesting because I really struggled with what I was teaching my kids, right? Equations, algebra, all, all this, if you reminisce about like middle school math, right? Some of these, these units, but what my kids needed from me, there was such a dissonance. And, you know, a lot of my kids were coming from backgrounds where their community was struggling or their family was struggling. There was a lot going on in their lives. And yet here I am every day they walked in and I'm saying, all right, well, get down to business. We got work to do. And if they're not in that space, then what's the point, right? And for me personally, I was going through, I guess you can call it a spiritual awakening or whatever anyone wants to call it. But, you know, I was just going through my own process of figuring out myself and who I was. And so that made it even harder to be in the classroom because I was seeing what I was putting on my kids. And so by my fifth year, actually, I kind of was teaching meditation in my classroom, you know, talked about emotions and feelings all the time because I was trying everything in my power within those four walls to kind of shift the mindset and culture. You know, it's not just a math classroom. Like I want to see you as a human being, but I wanted a bigger impact. So that's actually why I left the classroom. I knew education was going to be something I'd stay in, but I just, I needed to get away for a little bit to kind of see what that was. So I ended up going to business school, which is not a very traditional path per se, but did two years at um, USC here in LA and um, graduated and was like, okay, like how do I take my business and kind of educational perspective and, and mold the two? So that's what led me to be an educational consultant. And I think I've had a vision for a while of what I hope to see in education. And so now I'm writing about it. <laughs> Amazing. That is so such a lovely story. I love that. 
Um, so there's several things you've said that I'd like to to uh, to pick on if I if yeah. I may. Uh, um, the first one is what you mentioned. So witnessing a failing system. Mm. So yeah, it, it won't be any surprise to you. I'm sure you've spoken to other people in Britain. Um, so you probably know that there's a, a, a huge feeling here also in the UK that mm -hmm. the system is not fit for purpose um, because of what you described, right? Yeah. Um, so can you, can you talk more about that failing system? Why do you think it's failing? <laughs> a, a big question indeed, you know. I think the first thing that's made it easier for me to understand is conceptualizing schooling versus education, because I think those are very distinct. I think if we were to look at what education is, it's supposed to be expansive. It's supposed to be purposeful. I mean, some would argue education is your life, right? You're learning constantly. I mean, that's really what education is supposed to be, is about to bring out that lightness inside of you and really spark something in you. And then we go to schooling, which, right, if you think about expansive and purposeful and exciting and intriguing and curious, I, don't, I think many people would argue that schooling is none of that right? It's limiting. It puts you in a box. Are you a good student or a bad student? It puts all of your value in grades and test scores and this external motivation, which as we know is short term, it's not everlasting. And then you have children who are being pushed through the system saying one day you will be able to achieve this happiness. And then they get there and they're lost. There's everything the system told them is not true. And maybe it is true from a material way, but if you're thinking about what fuels you within you, most of the time that's not being done in our schooling system, right? It's about competition. It's about let's push you forward. It's about either are you behind or ahead, which is so arbitrary. And as we know, we all learn so differently. So I think everything that I'm saying feels like it's failing right? We're not cultivating, if I was to say it in one phrase, we're not cultivating the humanness of a child in our education system. We're doing this wrong. <laughs> I so agree. And I often, you know, the reason the podcast is called Flourishing Education is because for me, education is something we do from, you know, from birth to death. Yeah. It's like lifelong and it's like from cradle to grave. Um, and actually, I agree with you. I think the schooling system, yeah, and, and it's interesting because when I talk to people about flourishing education, people automatically link it to schools, schooling. So education, you know, being a linguist, I in my first book, I talk about how in Britain, mental health is assimilated to mental ill health, but we don't say that. So we use the word mental health, meaning mental ill health. Um, and I think it's true also of edu so education. When we talk about education system, automatically we think about the schools, you know, all the different levels. But it's so much more. It's, you know, it's, it's yes, what you've just described, that sort of like lifelong learning. And I also love what you said about what when you you were coming in and teaching algebra and all the maths. Um, that made me think of an article that I read that was written in The Guardian this week uh, from a guy who's a lecturer, a maths lecturer in the UK, 
Mm-hmm. And he's homeschooling his child and he was saying, I had, they had to teach me how to do the maths. I've got a PhD in maths and I can't do the maths they're going, doing in, in primary school. Um, and so he was asking questions, just going, how come? You know, how come I'm like, I'm supposed to be an expert in maths. Um, <laughs> and there were other people doing science and English and they were making similar comments. And, and so go back to what you said, that you couldn't give your, your pupils what they needed from you. Hmm. And that makes me think of, you know, obviously we are back to, to come out of a third lockdown, 8th of March, our children are going to be going back to school and our government is talking about catching up. Yeah. Which drives me completely insane you know I'm like you on that one (laughs) catch up on what anyway um I'm not gonna get you know start some you know getting irritated because that's not there's no point but it's what you know as we are coming out of COVID and you know lockdown and all of those things what do you think we can do to best support our children? Because to me, that's not asking them to go back to school in the summer to do extra catch up for the learning they've missed. Um, yeah. But I would love to have your view. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I first think about just what the kids have lost in this time, right? Before even processing, they've lost social interaction. They've lost the ability to play with other people, you know, the playfulness, the curiosity, the creativity, a lot of that's been taken away. So for me, when I think about the summer, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, let them go play, right? They've been bottled up in a home. And, you know, and and the reality is that for some kids, it's not a safe home, right? You know, they were, they're going through a lot. So to sit here and say, well, we need to catch them up on academics. It's like, why don't we first cultivate that innate spirit that lies within every kid that maybe it's been taken out of them, right? It hasn't been cultivated. So that's the first thing I would say is like, let's, let's cultivate that. You know, I think another thing would be a push for adults, also parents specifically to process a lot with their children. You know, I think kids are resilient. We all know that they sometimes are more resilient than even adults are. And so I think being able to just process and have those conversations with children of kind of like, hey, like, how was school for you during this time? Was it stressful? Why? You know, like just being more inquiring and giving kids space to process just how they felt during that time, instead of being feeling that they're behind on standards, right? Like first let them have space to feel and kind of work through what they're trying to navigate. And the third would be, and I've seen this a lot from different people who are also just like you outraged by this catch up ideology, which again, to me just sounds ridiculous. And it seems more of a government say about global economy than it does anything about a child and their well-being. So I would tell every adult out there, please, please, please don't push the learning loss and instead like push the mental health loss that so many of our children have and really, really give them space to recover and give them the time to do that. Because as we all know, if we don't have that, our brains are not ready to learn. 
They are not ready to absorb. This is neuroscience. This is not, this is scientifically proven. We all know when we're stressed out, we have a hard time consuming information. So of course our children are the exact same. So those are just some of the things that come to mind for me. I so agree, absolutely. But it's, yes, yeah, 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 I so agree. And, um, and there's a part of me that just sort of keeps thinking, okay, how do we get that message out there? Mm. Because there are, you know, as I said previously, I teach languages, you know, English is yeah. not my first language. I've had to learn it whilst mm. living, you know, in France and then back here in the UK. Um, and I think the rhetoric, the language use can be so damaging and yet, you know, is so subconscious that people don't always pick up on it. So you listen, you know, the, when you listen to the news, I don't listen to the news because I choose what I put in my life. Um, and that's definitely not a lot of the negatives from the news. So I'll pick the articles that interest me. Um, yeah. But when you hear the rhetoric that says, you know, lost generation, because that's what we, we're hearing, you know, uh, loss of learning, catching up. I'm quite concerned that if the parents are not aware of, of that language and the rhetoric mm -hmm. and we don't challenge it, that we absorb it and accept it, then, mm -hmm. you know, psychologically, what is that going to do to young people? Because telling them that they're a lost generation, I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's similar to what you say about what we even say in schools, right? You're going to fail. You are, <laughs> you made a mistake and now you will be failing this class. How will you get into college? How will you be successful if you don't do X, Y, Z? I mean, I think a common thing that I'm hearing from you too is fear, right? What we're doing is instilling fear and our schooling system does a very, very good job of that. <laughs> that if you don't do what you need to do, you will not be successful. And I think the couple of questions we have to ask ourselves, and I've interviewed parents as well, and they will say, I'm like, what, what do you think is successful for your child? And they will say things like, I just want them to be happy, right? I, I just want them to thrive. I just want them to follow their interest. It goes, okay, so how much of the schooling system is supporting what you just said? Or are you still pushing your children to be in fear that they're not gonna get into a certain college or that they're not gonna get into a certain job if they don't get that grade? I mean, if you think about that, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's so much fear-based conditioning that we've all been taught that somehow you won't be a value to society if you don't do X, Y, Z. And I think we've seen over and over again of people who have gone against that and have been very successful. <laughs> so I think we have a lot of people to show that this idea of fear is just, it can be really dehabilitating for our children and for us. Yes. And they, it, so my background is linguistics and intercultural competence okay mm -hmm. so yeah um, and and one of the things that I've, I was talking at a, a conference recently is 
what you were describing. So in our second book with Dominique, we talk about how our young people, to understand what young people are going through, you've got to understand the culture they're growing up in. So that culture you've described, competitiveness, that leads to fear of failure, um, imposter syndrome, uh, perfectionism, right? All those things. Yeah. So this is the culture they're evolving in and they're growing up in. And then there are people like myself and, and yourself who are saying, you know, let's, let's, so the work I do at university a lot is embedding well being in the curriculum, looking mm -hmm. at the well being essentials you know, sense of belonging, uh, all those things, right? Um, I, I love mindfulness and so, you know, compassion, you know, um, self-compassion, all those things. But to me, the difficulty is how are we going to, how can we embed these in a system when the culture is has values that are completely against, that they the the polar opposite right <laughs> so I I love you know on my on my board here you can't see it but there's there's my my five values love compassion calm peace and collaboration mm -hmm. okay they're my values and there's a sixth one which is equity but I think that just naturally happens because love means that you know if you're here and you're you've got the spark of life then you deserve to be here just as I deserve to be here. So they come together for me. Yeah. But those are my five values and they drive everything I do. Mm. But I look at the world and the society and the rhetoric around me. And sometimes it really jars and it also feels so I'd love to see how, you know, how that how you do that. And and I would love to take a leaf out of your book because sometimes it feels really scary in a world, in a society that promotes fear. And that says you've got to hop on the hamster wheel and to be successful, you've got to, you know, get the job, get the degree, get the this, that, that, <laughs> and keep going, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's scary because, you know, it's, it's like, those are my values but that doesn't fit in and how do I how do I make it work so what yeah. would you say oh, such a great question well first I want to say I'm a product of everything you just said <laughs> you know perfectionism doing what's told of me you know I was that student I was a good and I put that in quotation marks I was a good student according to the system why because I was scared to be anything but that Right. And so it took me a long time to break out of it. And luckily for me, I got to be in the classroom and be on the other side and start questioning all my beliefs because I was with kids who I deeply loved. But I realized what I was doing was not matching that value. And so that led to my own unlearning process. And you're right, it's a beast to fight this, right? Because you're in a culture like this, cultures, it takes generations to shift that. So I think the first thing, and I truly believe this personally, is if we want to shift any system, or if we want to shift any culture, it starts with us. Systems are made of people, and they're made up of individuals. And I believe that if we don't elevate our own consciousness, then systems themselves cannot become conscious. And we have to do the deep work. So that's my first call to action is more around how do we build awareness? How do we build just 
asking reflective questions. You know, something that comes to mind for me first is as adults, if we've been part of this conditioning, have we ever looked back at our own schooling and asked ourselves what worked, what didn't, what, what have I learned over the years? And now how am I raising my kid in that system? And I think a lot of people haven't done that work. They haven't looked at their own schooling. They go, well, I went to Harvard. So of course my son has to go to Harvard. There's not, it's so unconscious. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means they don't know any better. So it's, it's really taking that step back and reflecting and asking ourselves those types of questions. And it's when we become conscious is when we can start to ask, okay, well, how do I shift the trajectory for the next generation? But so many of us have been conditioned to really believe we've internalized that money and grades and like that is all what success looks like in our world. So it takes a deep level of understanding for all of us to do that hard work. And again, I've done it and I'm still doing it. And no one said it's easy, but at the same time, I feel so liberated because I am elevating my consciousness in a way where I can look at a system and go, okay, these are, these are all the, the problems, but we need to also look at all the adults in this space and ask ourselves, are they conscious themselves? And if they're not, we're going to keep cultivating unconscious beings. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I, my favorite quote is, you know, be, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Starts yeah. with us. So, <laughs> yes, it's absolutely. And, and you, you, you can only do that, right? Just be the change yourself. And then yeah. hopefully, um, I don't know if I can show you, but my, the image I have above my, my hmm. is lighthouse mm -hmm. um because for me it's it if you shine your light then just like a lighthouse um you don't have to worry whether people are gonna receive your light or see it mm -hmm. um and that actually it, the, the the boats who come to the harbor you know because of your light will come to the harbor and those who need to continue on onto their journey will do so with you guiding them so they don't crash against the rocks, <laughs> you know, and continue on their journey. And for me, this really works because that's what motivates me to keep going mm. in the in terms of flourishing education. Because loads of people I, I talk to just go, but Fabian, you've got a full-time job, right? In education. Why are you doing this? Um, and it's like, well because I can't not do it, if that makes sense, like yeah. you were all describing. Um, something you said also sparked something in me. You know, I think a lot about the light and I, I feel that, you know, in a culture that you mentioned, I've been navigating a lot, at least in my book as well, about like this doing versus being. And I think we've swung the pendulum so far to doing that we've just forgotten to be. And sometimes when we be, and, you know, funny enough, a pandemic, and this is not to negate the horrifying things that have happened to so many families and people, but we also have to know that during the pandemic, people were forced to be. They had to sit with themselves. There's no more distractions. There's no more doing. There's no more weekend parties, right? You have to sit with yourself and it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, that's where your inner light can start shining is when we stop. 
And I do think about that a lot. Like, yes, I'm writing this book, but the fact that I can just be present and just have presence in what I have to say, that in itself is enough. Sometimes it's not about putting all this stuff and making all these changes and things, which I hope will happen as just a domino effect. But the first thing is just kind of seeping into your truth and really bringing your truth to light. And to your point, people will receive it or not, but that's okay because it doesn't matter how it's received. It's about you embodying that, right? Every step of the way. Yes, I think it makes it easier because you know, mm-hmm. when I remind myself to just simply be the light um, yeah. and be the lighthouse, you know, I often think, well, I love like images and metaphors. So for me, life is like the ocean and and the waves of life that we have to navigate. And so if I'm that lighthouse, a lighthouse doesn't care if the, the waves are massive or if it's calm, you know, it just keeps shining its light. And so that's always that sort of reminder that I just keep sort of giving myself because it's a it's a good way to want well, to try and anchor myself, I guess. It's my grounded. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, we've used the word conscious and consciousness a lot. Um, and, you know, conscious, consciousness in education, bringing consciousness to education. So do you want to give us your definition of what being conscious and consciousness is? Yeah. And then what, what you mean by, by bringing consciousness to education? Absolutely. And I think it's a great question because I'm still navigating it, which is kind of exciting, right? Because I don't think we always need to know the answers and we kind of just see what feels good. So when I think about it personally, I think consciousness is just deep awareness. And it's a deep awareness of our thoughts and our beliefs and our emotions and our patterns and becoming just aware of how that drives our daily lives. And so it, it really just stems from that. It's just an awareness. Now, if I was to go and say, well, what does it mean to be unconscious and conscious? I actually interviewed someone who said it very well. Um, and she's also a dear friend of mine. And she said, when you're living unconsciously, you're living in autopilot. You're living a life where you kind of do the, maybe the nine to five job, you know, you get married, you have kids, kind of all the things we've been socialized to do, you're in autopilot, right? You maybe have lost that inner spark. And when you're conscious, that awareness, you kind of awaken from that and you go, wait, what is that within me that I've lost through these years? You know, you hear about these people who have breakdowns before they awaken, you know, whatever that means. And it's hard to conceptualize until you've gone through it. But I think it's really just kind of opening your eyes again. And I think a lot about the pandemic. I think there are a lot of social equity, a lot of issues that have arisen. And it wasn't that there wasn't there before, but we were unconscious. We weren't It was there, but we were choosing not to see it. And I think, how did we become conscious? We put on a new pair of glasses and we saw the same thing that's always been there, but now it looks different and it hits differently. And I think that's really that shift. It's putting a new pair of glasses. Now, when I think about education, I think that's very interesting because a lot of what I'm pushing for is awareness, but I also think it's really cultivating the inner world 
of a child, for them to become aware of not just like the mind body connection, which we know a lot of schools are doing the work for that, but it's really that soul connection. It's that intuition, that gut feeling, the, the thing that's our inner light, as you mentioned, right? Those things that are just kind of not cultivated, but it is actually in children they lose it over time because it's not being given any type of support. And so they lose purpose, right? They, they don't know who they really are. And then those same individuals become adults who are quite broken. They don't, they've, they haven't had the space to really indulge in that. And so I think if we can really cultivate that, that innateness in us, you know, that spirituality, if you want to call it that or whatever, whatever feels good for people, I think that's really what I'm trying to push for. Yes. And, and in my flourishing model, you know, um, I was saying, earlier on before we started recording what was really interesting in doing interviews from flourishing you know flourishing in in brackets you know with yeah. my people can't see but um, <laughs> okay, it's a label right so um it it they they look after their physical health and their um mental health and their emotional health and their social health but also what they they said was you know e either um so I've labeled it spiritual health, but it's sort of like, you know, feeling part of something bigger um, than themselves. But also um, others would say knowing why they are studying what they're studying. So that sense of purpose you've described, and that um, autonomous motivation and being connected to that, because what they were describing is that sort of then when they're doing what they're passionate about or what they like or they're good at, um, getting into flow, I guess, you know, that's sort of the, the, the link. Um, so you've given us a beautiful you know, definition of conscious. I love it. How do we do that? on the ground you know if you if you had a magic wand and imagine <laughs> that you've brought uh, consciousness to education what does it look like on a daily basis mm. gosh so many things you know i have a big vision about it of course i i think um i would say the first thing that comes to mind is you walk into a school and children feel seen and they feel heard in every aspect of their life. They're having moments throughout the day where they're able to pause and they're able to really understand how they're feeling. There are questions that are being asked constantly about who are you, you know, what, what gives you meaning and purpose in life and really rooting into that. I mean, there's so much positive psychology work around this as well of what it means to truly be happy. And it is really cultivating that inner purpose. And I think, you know, I, I envision children who are happy and joyful and not the normal, you know, I hate school phrase that we hear so often, you know, it's just being really seen on it from a human perspective. Now that doesn't mean that learning's not happening. It just means to me that when we bring consciousness, it is the foundation of what we do and everything else gets layered on it. I think we've really reversed that. It's all become academic achievement and 
everything else is supplemental, right? The mindfulness programs, everything. It's let's flip the switch. What if mindfulness was the foundation of schools? That was something that's just integrated in the culture, play, curiosity, exploration. And then you get the added layer to go, okay, you want to explore this subject, go do it. Right. And so really having that being layered on top. Um, if you were to ask me, how do we even start? I mean, I think it really starts with our mindset. I mean, that's the first thing that I've been talking a lot about in the book is we have to ask ourselves just critical questions like what is the purpose of education? What is the purpose of school? What is working? What is not? How do I feel about my education? You know, really just shifting our mindset because if we don't stop and question, then change can't happen. It just won't. So we have to do that. And some may say, well, that's not really tangible. But in my perspective, that is the biggest shift that needs to happen is just a mindset shift of what we're even trying to do in the first place. This is an outdated system, centuries old, and we're still doing it. So we really need to stop and shift the mindset because what worked, it's not working anymore. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. And it's, Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally, utterly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and but equally, you know, the the the, the problem with the current system is it's so ingrained in the in the material that you know that the the success, all of those things, that. Um, in terms of mindset, you know, I often, I don't know if you've, if you've, um, you probably read her book, but um, Hanukkah's Harris's book. Um, so she's Sam oh, Harris's, Sam Harris's um, wife. And she talks about consciousness um, in her book. Um, and she, she, she talks about challenging the things that feel to us um counterintuitive so you know when you she she says in her book if you see something and you just all feel it doesn't feel quite like the right thing go and go down there and explore it and i often feel that sometimes that changing the face of education like like you i sort of imagine i just think well maybe it's a little bit like when they first started saying that the earth was round rather than being yes <laughs> you know i don't know how does that land for you it's like maybe that's what we're doing we're just sort of like we're talking about saying hey guys it's not flat it's round um <laughs> yes and there's pushback right because people are going consciousness no we got to get these kids to college. Like consciousness is not, that's not even a conversation. But I think, I think we also need to really look at things from a bigger picture because our children become adults. And if we're seeing a mental health crisis, we're seeing adults who don't feel purposeful, we're seeing more generations who want more mission-oriented companies, want more social impact, want to contribute to this world, well, then maybe we need to shift the paradigm of what this looks like in schools. I mean, if you want to talk about shifts, it's actually happening in the modern world. And there are problems we're trying to address. But I always say, why do we wait till the bucket is overflowing? We're seeing this happening. We're seeing adults 
who are depressed, who don't know who they are, who don't feel a sense of purpose. And we're going, hmm, that's weird. They did everything right. Why do they feel this way? Well, let's, let's talk about how we educate them <laughs> and really start from the beginning if we really want to change it. So I think it's really making that call to action. And yeah, I am one person, you know, I always say, I feel that I have a vision that I want to impart upon this world. And if that means that's what it takes to kind of just shift perspective, great. You know, I think sometimes we get so caught up and we want to see all these changes within the, the time we're here, but sometimes I feel we all have different purposes of how we make that shift happen in our world. So I'm not sure where it's going to go for me, but to me, this is the first step of kind of just having someone go, hmm, interesting. Didn't think about that, right? And kind of going into that. Getting people to question themselves. Like yeah. the purpose of, of this conversation for me, for me, it's like my your truth, my truth. Mm, okay, this is not quite that doesn't sit quite well with my truth. So how do I make it happen? Rather than just thinking, you know, my truth, the truth for sure. Um, because that's also part of the the result of our you know socializing and you know going through an education system right you were, you were talking about unlearning I really feel that's what I've done uh, no I, I, I've done 10 years of literally stripping <laughs> an awful lot of <laughs> Yes, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion is what I sell. Yeah. I say it stings way more as you go deeper. But, you know, at the end, it, it, it tastes good, you know, if you cook it. So I feel, um, yeah, it's to your point. I yes, I have done whew, a lot of a lot of deep work around it. And I always tell people it's uncomfortable. But when you feel liberated, it you know, there's nothing like it, but there is no absolute truth, right? I think it's always an exploration. And even when you feel like you are doing your truth, you're learning in the process. And for me, writing a book has been that. I get to talk to amazing people and get their perspectives, right? And I think that's so amazing. It's so gratifying. Yes. And, it, and, and I'm sure it will be, I can't wait to read your book. I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. Like a very interesting read. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that I haven't asked you that you think you would want to add to to this conversation, but I'm really I'm quite excited by that notion of you know conscious education. I think that's because uh, there's loads of articles nowadays where you know talking even in corporates there is a lot of you know talk talks about conscious leadership and you know um, conscious. It business world so it almost feels like the only area that hasn't quite caught up is uh is education really yeah yeah I I think we've covered so much I mean I always I'll just end by saying you know start with yourself I mean that's the first thing I'll tell anyone I am here where I am because I did a lot of sitting with myself and that's what's led me to who I am now. And I'll continue doing that so I can continue to evolve and grow. But I, I do think that a lot of what we want to change in our world, as you mentioned, you know, we have to be willing to change ourselves. And if it's scary, that's okay. That's part of it. Embrace it. And, and you'll, you'll be surprised where it takes you. <laughs> 
So that's perfect. So you've, you know, I normally ask my my guests to wrap up with like one or two things. So <laughs> yeah, <go> ahead. <laughs> I know you obviously knew. Um, <laughs> um, the, the I would I would probably finish with one one last question, sort of leading from what you've just said. Yeah. So it starts with you, and you know if it feels uncomfortable, then you know lean into that. Um, but if I'm a parent and I'm completely new to this concept and it's really really too scary, um, then what would you advise me to do? Yeah, I mean, I think I would tell every parent that you want your child to be happy and thriving in this world. And if you really want that, I mean, if I don't think that's, if that's not a motivation to, to sit with yourself, then what is, right? I think parents have such love for their child and want them to be successful. And that really means that we have to work through our own biases and our own projections to make that happen. For me, I found through mindfulness and meditation, those were my first access points to start to sit with myself. And so I would tell people do that if that is calling your name and maybe even find a community to do it with so you're not alone. I think right now there's a big movement, especially in parenting around this type of work. And so there are resources. Um, so I would just say, if you're curious, just hop in, but also know that it may take time before you find something that feels good. And that's okay. That's also part of the process. I think that when we tell people sit in meditation, you'll be happier. You know, that's false. That's not true. Sit in meditation and see what happens and what you experience. That's the first step. And it may look completely different than someone else, you know, and that's also okay. But just be curious and explore and just allow things to come your way instead of trying to intellectualize what it looks like to be conscious because you cannot intellectualize this concept. <laughs> Thank you. That was just wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy we connected. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much. And I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.